Our second reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 to 25. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult. Let us pray. Creator God, who fashioned the world in all its beauty, majesty and might, and who bade the winds and waves obey you, we pray for those being affected by Hurricane Florence across the eastern seaboard of the United States and the super-typhoon Mankut in the Philippines. We lift before you those mourning the loss of loved ones in the wake of the devastation caused. We pray for all who have had to leave their homes and belongings, fearing that they may be destroyed and that they might lose everything. We remember the members of the emergency services, risking their own lives to protect the lives of others. We pray for those in neighbouring communities who are providing food and shelter in this time of need. And for those responsible for the clean-up operation, and rebuilding of whole communities. Grant them strength and understanding in overwhelmingly difficult conditions, and may all know your peace and comfort in their hearts. Lord, in your mercy, 
pray for all those students beginning a new academic year, for the very youngest pupils starting school for the first time, those changing classes, moving to new schools and colleges, and those heading off to university or into work. Father, we ask that you would go before them, preparing a smooth transition, that they would all be conscious of your presence with them. Help them to settle quickly into their new environments. May they establish good and supportive friendships. And above all, we pray that they might grow and flourish in their Christian faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, as many of our church activities begin their new terms, we pray for their outreach into our community. Across the ages, we pray that all would receive a warm welcome here at Brighton Road and would experience something here that makes them want to know more about you and to explore the Christian faith for themselves. We remember the Alpha Course planned to start this week. We pray for inquiring minds, open discussions, and the presence and conviction of your Holy Spirit. And Father, as we advertise for the position of a leader of community evangelism, we continue to pray that you will guide the right person to us, that you will lay this position on their heart, and that you will help us as a congregation to discern your will for us as we look to move forward in this exciting new direction. Lord, in your mercy, hear yeah. our prayer. Father, silently in our hearts, we lift before you now those known to us tonight who are in particular need of our prayers. all those needing your solace, we pray that they would know your encompassing presence, that you would comfort, strengthen and sustain with a peace that passes all our understanding. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer, for we offer them in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you take the Lord to be your God? Will you love him, worship him, honour and serve him, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you shall live? Some of us will have said words like that when we got married. But they are eminently suitable to express the kind of relationship that God wants with us as his people. A relationship of total commitment and exclusive devotion. And the Lord says to us, as his people, you shall have no other gods before me. The first of the Ten Commandments as we begin to work our way through these in the coming weeks. If we belong to the Lord, we belong to him alone and not to any other God. 
If you were to ask me whether I were willing to share my wife with another man, the answer is no. That would be unthinkable. Correspondingly, it is incumbent upon me to stay faithful to her in my heart and in my actions. It's love that provides the motivation for that kind of faithfulness, and love is the means by which it is maintained. J. John, in his series on the Ten Commandments, ponders how his wife would feel if he was only completely faithful to her every Sunday, but didn't bother quite so much the other six days of the week. We know that's not how relationships work. But is that sometimes how we treat God? Total commitment on a Sunday, the rest of the time actually out of sight, out of mind. The Lord who says, you shall have no other gods before me, claims pride of place in our loyalties and our priorities 24-7. St. Augustine put it this way, Christ is not valued at all, unless he be valued above all. Christ is not Lord at all, unless he is Lord of all. So that means if we take our Christian commitment seriously, our dedication to God seriously, it's not about sandwiching God into the little space that's left between our career and family commitments. It means everything belongs to him. In the workplace, we do what we do in such a way as to honour God. In our relationships, we aim to be the best friend, neighbour, partner, parent, son, daughter, brother, sister that we can be. Not putting career or family before God, but dedicating our work and our home life to him. So that our faith in him infuses every part of who we are. And everything we do, we do in his name and for his glory. Sometimes if... If you don't know God well, it can look a bit unreasonable for him to demand first place in our lives and loves. He was talking to the Israelites, speaking to them in the wilderness as the God who had redeemed them from slavery to a foreign power. He was their saviour. And his desire was that in a world which did not know God or care for God, there might be one place which was not God-forsaken, one nation who would know and return his love, one people who knew him personally and would be as dedicated to him as he was to them. And for our part, here in Horsham in the 21st century, we recognise Jesus to be our Redeemer, laying down his life for us loving us to the uttermost, to the point of death, to redeem our lives from futility and destruction. God has given everything to us in his Son. And it's the intensity of his love for us that leads him to ask so much from us in terms of commitment in return. And if it feels sometimes as if God is all demanding, let's remember that he is first and foremost all giving. And however much love we send his way, it can never be anything more than a feeble reflection of the love he has for us first.
But when it comes to worship, when it comes to setting priorities, when it comes to devotion in our lives, he does want us to worship him. And for everything else to find its rightful place under his sovereignty. After all, were it not for him, we would not even exist. Were it not for him, we would have no future. So worship starts with recognising just who this God is with whom we have to do. Just how much he has done for us. And it's on that basis that he looks for our willing and glad fidelity in return. And when we realise just how amazing God is and how much he's done for us, just how much we matter to him, that our natural response is to be glad to give him our worship, not because he demands it or because he expects it, but because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. You will have no other gods before me. The translations are pretty consistent in phrasing the first commandment this way. And in that respect, they all follow the King James Version. A more literal translation might be, For you there will be no other gods before my face. It's worth turning over what it means for us to have no other gods before the face of the living God. One paraphrase which comes to mind is that we're not to have any other gods in his sight. But that could give the rather misleading impression that he won't mind if we worship other gods behind his back where he can't see. Uh, That's not the case at all. But if we talk about someone's behaviour being in your face, we mean that they're behaving confrontationally or provocatively. There's a degree of aggressive defiance in their attitude which is upsetting and impossible to ignore. And that may be part of what the first commandment means. If we worship other gods, then that is, that is, that's a bit in God's face, actually, given the nature of the relationship he wants with us. If we transfer our loyalty, our worship, our dedication to, to something or somebody else, then the Lord finds that deeply upsetting, even provocative. It's in his face as behaviour. And he feels that way because his love for us isn't an easygoing, laissez-faire, have-it-your-own-way kind of attitude. I'm not bothered. No, he loves us with a passionate kind of love. One which brooks no rivals. So another part of the meaning is that the Lord doesn't want us to have any other gods in addition to him or alongside him or beside him and certainly no other gods in his place. The Lord turns his face towards us and looks on us with love. And a lover, someone who is in love, doesn't easily take their eyes off the one who is loved. You just love looking at the person that you love. And you're delighted when that look of love is returned. But if your look of love is ignored... That's disconcerting, to say the least. If it's spurned, that is painful. And it's agonising if the one who is loved transfers their affection elsewhere. As long as the lover loves, the lover can't stop looking. 
even if the loved one doesn't reciprocate. You can't stop looking even though it hurts to look. And God can't stop looking at his people even when they turn away. In that sense, whenever God's people turn away from God and worship other deities, it's always going to be before his face because he can't stop looking at them and grieving over their faithlessness and their behaviour. We use the phrase face-to-face of two people facing each other, often in close proximity. If I'm having a face-to-face conversation with someone, the last thing I want is someone else shoving their face in the way um, to interrupt. It's an unwelcome intrusion. And that also may be part of the meaning wrapped up in this commandment. God wants a one-to-one with us. He doesn't want any other gods, any any intruders, getting in the way of this one-to-one relationship. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy, the law addresses the problem that may befall a man if he's unwise enough to marry more than one woman at the same time. And he ends up loving one woman more than the other one. If his firstborn son is born to the wife he doesn't love that much, that son must have the rights of the firstborn. He can't take those rights away in the face of his firstborn son and give it to the son of the the wife he prefers. That would be for the father to betray his eldest son. It would fly in the face of his responsibilities as a father. So if having other gods in the face of the Lord entails a transfer of affection and loyalty from the Lord, which is his due, and these things are passed to other gods, that involves an element of betrayal. It flies in the face of the allegiance and loyalty we owe to the living God. These other gods have intruded on a face-to-face relationship and have disrupted it. Disrupted it. That relationship which should have been one of openness and trust and accountability and honesty between God and his people, these other gods have come in between. And the Lord says, no. No one else is to come between you and me. No one is to take the affection that we owe each other away from each other. No one else is to allow us to betray that relationship. You will have no other gods before me. 21st century Britain. What do we make of this commandment? Particularly in Horsham. Is, is God primarily thinking of what would happen if you stopped coming to Brighton Road on a Sunday and started worshipping at the mosque on a Friday instead? That would certainly be a drastic step and could be construed as a rejection of Jesus Christ, whom we believe to be the ultimate revelation of God and the only one who can save us and bring us into God's presence. So yes, you will have no other gods before me. We worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the God whom we know and that is the God we belong to. So yes, that could be part of the meaning of this commandment. But by and large in Horsham, it's not the kind of town where you walk down the street and wonder, well, which temple will I visit this week? Which God am I going to worship today? Oh, it's loads of churches, uh, but they're all Christian churches. 
acknowledging Jesus as Lord, and from that point of view, which church you attend is a matter of personal preference. Of course, this is the, this is the one to come to. But it's not a deal-breaker in terms of your loyalty to God. So in Horsham, where we don't actually have that many gods to choose from, what does it mean when God says, you shall have no other gods before me? In his shorter catechism, which Martin Luther wrote uh, to enable the head of a household to instruct their children in matters of religion, Luther said that the first commandment meant that we, meant that we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. That's actually quite helpful. Because there's a sense in which we can grant objects the, the quasi-status of deity in our lives if we make them the objects of our fear, our love, or our trust instead of the living God. So what are you afraid of? Are there fears that are eroding your confidence in God? If you're afraid, does that mean that deep down you're not quite sure that God is in control, that he's big enough to deal with the situation or that he loves you enough to be with you in and through it? If there are things of which we are afraid, does our fear of what might happen indicate that we we think these things are in control of our lives rather than God? What about our trust in God's providence and sovereignty? There's nothing wrong with being afraid. It's a natural reaction. And as we, as we, as we encounter our fears, as things knock our faith, God invites us to bring our fears to him in prayer, to seek the grace to trust him and the strength to wrestle with our fears and to face them down. But if we give in to our fears and they start dictating our responses and, and how we live our lives and what we do and we start running away because of them, then we are allowing our fears a degree of control in our lives that belongs to the Lord alone who says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't let fear of other things usurp God's place on the throne of your heart. Then what or, or who do we love? If all true love comes from God, then God has no problem with seeing his love channeled into and fulfilled in human relationships of love and trust and commitment. But what if, what if our affection for somebody else or our attraction to them or our involvement with them pulls us away from God? then we face difficult choices about where our priorities lie. And we deal with the Lord who says, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, if we idolise someone to the point where we become quite infatuated with them, then we have a real problem. Not least because the chances are that your idolisation of them actually doesn't correspond to the the flesh and blood person that they really are when you see them in cold daylight. Part of our Christian commitment is to keep involving God in our relationships, bringing his grace, his forgiveness, 
his honesty, his love. Asking him to be in charge of our thoughts, our feelings, our words and our actions. But then sometimes we end up loving things instead. What things dominate your minds, take your time? What things you know could so easily become addictive? Those things which, you know, unless you're doing that, nothing else really seems to be worthwhile or enjoyable. Those things which rob us of the capacity to enjoy anything else in life, they can assume the status of God's in our hearts. And the Lord wants to set us free from these things that enslave us to their demands. You will have no other gods before me, says the Lord. And one of the reasons why he says that is because no other God is going to be good for you. No other God is going to be good to you. Put the Lord first and find his freedom. And what about your trust? When the chips are down, where does your confidence lie? In your own abilities and achievements? In your own financial resources? In someone else who holds your future in their hands? In your job or your career? If the extent to which you pray were to be used as a measure of your level of trust in God, what would the outcome be? One of my colleagues used to say, prayerlessness is practical atheism. We talk about the Christian faith, don't we? But faith is actually all about trust. Trusting in God for the big things, like salvation. And the little things, what I need to get through today. For his grace and his love towards me when things go wrong. How much does that faith inform and direct your life? Where is your faith and trust located when life gets difficult? You shall have no other gods before me, says the Lord. Let's spend a moment just to reflect on that commandment, its meaning in our lives. God's claim on who we are, what we do and how we live. And seek his grace to put him first. Lord, help me to fear you first. Help me to love you best. Help me to trust you most. Take the first place in my heart, the one which is reserved for you and you alone. I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer 
and would invite you to join with me if you feel you would like to do so. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Let's close our service by singing together number 42, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart.